What do you do the day after Christmas? I mean, you, know, you think about the timing on this. Clay and I talked about this several weeks ago now, and we were planning for this. Because, you know, many of us, we get after Christmas, we kind of want to move on. You know, last night I said to Charlene, I said, hey, Christmas is over, let me go t- take the lights down. And, of course, I was joking. Thankfully, she didn't take me up on it. But, um, uh, but I mean, you, sometimes you kind of want to move on, and sometimes more, some of us more quickly than others. And, 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 and we were talking about this, and we were, I was talking, you know, had Christmas came on Monday... Um, and then we're now at Sunday, I'd probably do something different because, you know, by six days, I mean, we're like, okay, let's think about the new year. Let's do whatever. But I mean, like Christmas was yesterday and, and by the way, I'm still trying to figure out if it snows today, is it still sort of a white Christmas? It's not. I think it is. I think it is. I mean, it's a spirit, right? It's a spirit of it, right? I don't know. Anyway, that's a, that's a, I'll put that on Facebook and we can debate that. But, but, um, um, you know, we're still kind of Christmassy, but not. So what do you do for that? And I got, we got this great idea together. And, um, well, let's just, take, let's just take the biblical events. What happened after Jesus was born? The Magi. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you this right up front, okay? I'm going to tell you this right up front because you need to hear it from somebody who loves you. Uh, I'm going to mess up some of your thinking today. And my friend, my friend, we, we did a little thing on Thursday night. Our Thursday, Clay was talking about our Thursday night groups. And, and I don't know, middle of December, we did a little, uh, our Thursday night group got together out in here and did a big circle and just talked, went through the Christmas story, talked about it and so forth, what happened. And one of my friends who really is a pretty good Bible guy, I mean, he's, he knew the Bible pretty well, we started talking about the, the, the three kings, the, the magi. And um, more on that in just a second. And, and we started talking. One of the things I'm going to tell you today is we don't know that there were three. And my friend was like, oh, man, you're screwing up my whole manger scene. What are you talking about? You know? So, so I'm just going to tell you right ahead. I'm not here to mess up your life or to screw up your manger scenes or whatever. But, uh, and you can have three kings. It's okay. You don't have to go home and take one of them down. Um, or, or, or add to them, but we're going to talk about the Magi. It's only in one place in the Gospels. It's in Mark, excuse me, Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. And um, this has been, this has really been fun for me because I've learned a lot. I haven't really never, I've never done a message just on the Magi in all my years. So it's kind of, it's kind of fun. And uh, we're just going to jump into it. It's Matthew chapter 2. And here's what I'm going to do. I was going to read through the, the narrative in the, in the Gospels, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk about the star, and we're going to talk about the Magi themselves and who they were, and then make some applications to it and so forth. So let's just kind of follow along with me. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that same time, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Verse 3, King Herod, King Herod is a bad guy. He's a just, and he's a Jewish king, but he's worried because he really didn't have the, according to the thing, he, he didn't have the rightful um, claim to the throne as a, Jew, as a Jewish king. And it's a, a political thing and, and some other stuff. But uh, let's just say that he's a quite, insis, in, uh, he's quite, insecure in, in this position. He doesn't like hearing that there might be another king somewhere because he knows, rightfully, he didn't belong there anyway. Plus, he's just a, he's just a, he's just a 
piece of crap person. Sorry, I mean, he's just a horrible. All, you read about the Herods. I mean, just Google the Herods, uh, and there's several of them, and boy, they are all just really heathen people. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Let me just make one observation here real quick. I find it interesting that they're talking about a king, and King Herod immediately says, Messiah. He makes that connection, even as an old heathen guy. He makes that connection immediately, uh, probably without any prompting. He knew he wasn't the Messiah, and he knew he wasn't the rightful king. So anyway... Just a, uh, another, uh, another thing here. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. Now he quotes from the Old Testament, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people, for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from the time, he learned from time, Uh, Excuse me, he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, watch this, watch this, so that I can go worship him too. You think he really wanted to worship him? He wants to kill him. Um, So the plot thickens here. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way. The star that they, had been, that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, stopped over the place, the very place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened up their treasures, their treasure chest, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. Thus, this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of their star's first appearance. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. A couple of things. Let me just kind of go back and kind of explain a couple of things, because there's some fascinating stuff to me in here, and I, I hope it'll be interesting to you. First of all, I'll tell you the star. Let's talk about the star just for a moment. The star was very unusual. These kings uh, or these wise men, we're not sure that they were kings, uh, more about them in a moment, um, they were astronomers. Don't make the mistake of, you know, sometimes I get astronomy and astrology and all that mixed up. Astronomer is different than astrology. You know, they weren't reading charts and newspapers, okay? These guys studied the stars, literally, and for, for different, different things and what might be going on and, and unique, unique nuances and so forth in the heavens. And, and they found the star, and we don't know exactly when they first saw it or how they knew it was going to be there. Some people believe that maybe they knew a little bit about the Old Testament prophecies, 
Now, they were from somewhere in Arabia, possibly, somewhere a long way, Saudi Arabia, somewhere like that, a long ways off. So, so they didn't have access to the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament uh, teachings. It, it could have made their way to them through someone else who uh, maybe came from Israel or whatever. But there was a verse in Numbers, uh, Numbers 24, and many people think this is the verse that, that a lot of people, a lot of scholars think this is just, just this, was, this was, comes from the prophecy of Balaam, an Old Testament prophet, talking about the coming Messiah, we believe. Look what Numbers 24, 17 says. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. Maybe they were aware of that verse. Maybe it was something else, but they began their studies uh, of the astronomy and so forth, and they saw this special star. Now, some scholars believe, let me, I'm going to use a term here. Maybe you know what that is, maybe you don't. There's, there's a term called the Shekinah glory. Now, if you, if you remember, if you know that, if you don't know that, it's okay. Uh, way back when, when, when everybody, you know, everybody's seen the Ten Commandments probably, and, and the children of Israel go through the, the Red Sea, and, and they go into uh, the, the, uh, what is now the Sinai Peninsula for 40 years before they enter the Promised Land. During that 40-year journey, we're told that there was a pillar of fire miraculously appearing every day and night, 24-7, to, to lead the peoples to where they would go. They called that the Shekinah, the, the children of Israel, to where they would be for each night and so forth. They called that the Shekinah glory. A very special thing happened, just a very unique thing that happened at that particular time, never to have been repeated since. Some scholars believe that this star was, was just another example of the Shekinah glory of God just speaking in a different way to some people, a very few people who were listening, and, and to show them this is where the Savior is being born, right here in Bethlehem. Whether it was that, whether it was something else, I don't know, but it was a, it was a pretty darn special star, let me just tell you that. And it was a real star. Let me talk about the Magi for a minute, um, and then we're going to look at some of the other things. Um, May have we don't you know I read I just read to you from everything the Bible says about the Magi, so I, I'm, what I'm giving you now is church tradition, scholars, speculation, nothing else in the Bible about this, uh, but based on then people scholars have done all kinds of different things, looking at different nuances of different words and so forth and so on, and um, um, we believe they either came from Babylon, Persia, or somewhere in the Arabian Desert, okay. Um, and Matthew, of course, gives no number. He gives no names or royal positions. He doesn't say royal positions. He just gives us wise men. Um, before 225 A.D., uh, a guy by the name of Tertullian, who was a church scholar, believer, 225 A.D., he called them kings. We don't know why he called them kings, but he called them kings. It wasn't in the text. It wasn't in the Bible, but he called them. That's where the tradition came out of from about 200 years after Jesus uh, died and was resurrected. That, that started with Tertullian, okay? And then um, the, uh, you know, you, 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 we don't know that much else about, oh, yeah, here's one, here's one little fact. Uh, oh, the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm going to come back to that in just, in just a second. That's where the implication, there were three of them, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But never does, it tell, never does it tell us that there were three kings or three wise men. It just says wise men, plural. So the implication is there were three. 
And then, long about 600 AD, uh, a, a group called the Arminian Infancy Gospel named the three wise men. Has anybody ever done that? Anybody ever studied? Anybody know who the three wise men's names are? Anybody ever done? You got it. You got it down here. See, there are many of us who, who come with a Christian tradition in our background, never knew they had names. And there are many of us who probably have been taught that maybe in catechism or whatever. Here are the names that were given to them 600 AD. Okay? Uh, there was... Uh, uh, this is the one I always have problems with. Um, uh, Melchion. And there, did I get that right? Melchion. And then there was uh, Balthazar, uh, Balthazar, excuse me, Balthazar. And the last one I always get, Gasper, because Casper, the friendly ghost, came out of his name. But um, no, don't, don't, don't laugh at that. Don't laugh at that. Uh, Gasper with a G. Okay. So those were the names. And some people, you know, are taught that with, you know, with these three wise men had names. Uh, we don't know there were three. Um, we don't know what their position was, but they were given names around 600 A.D. So there you go. Um, by the way, the visit of the Magi, and this is the important part. Uh, not that all this isn't important. It's interesting. Uh, the visit of the, of the Magi affirms the international recognition of others, of other wise men and possibly even royalty, um, and even possibly of other religions, of Jesus, of Jesus' place as the king. That's the significance of this. However many there were, wherever they were from. Now, we do need, we do need to talk about the gifts, all right? Did any gifts yesterday? Any, any Christmas gifts? You can thank these guys for starting the tradition. That's where it started, right here. As they brought gifts to the king, um, to Jesus we have sort of, kind of, established our tradition. Obviously, it has morphed into something far different than that, uh, but it has morphed into, the, the, you know, it, it, that's where we get the original infant. As they brought gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus, we give gifts to each other, i.e., symbolically, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, one other point that I need to make out, you will notice that uh, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. It wasn't the stable, the word that is used is child, not infant. Just like in the English language, in this language, there's a difference between an infant and a toddler or a child. At this point in time, Jesus is probably around two years old. I know what you're thinking. Oh, man, you're just screwing up my manger scene. You know, I had him there at the stable. I know, I know, it's okay. You can keep him there. It's okay. Nobody, don't tell anybody. We won't tell anybody else, okay? Tell don't let him read the Bible. No, let him read the Bible. Um, but he was, he, was, he was around two years old, somewhere between one and a half and two years old. Because of the, we know that because of the nature of the, of the Greek word, and also because we know that he, had, uh, um, he, was, he was in a home, you know, still in Bethlehem. Three gifts were given to Jesus. They were gold, which represented deity and, and, and his, his kingship, that he was king, represented his purity, and frankincense, which represented his priesthood. Jesus is the high priest. And, 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 and that's what you would, you would use that uh, with incense and so forth. The, uh, the, the, uh, when you're talking about the whole thing of the, the gold, the frankincense, which is, would be used in worship and so forth. It was symbolic of, of his priesthood. And myrrh. And myrrh was symbolic of, of his sacrifice and his death because myrrh is what is used for embalming and so forth, even at that day. So they, they had, each one had significant meaning. Each one had significant value. 
So these guys, they knew it. They they had substance. So that's that's that. By the way, something I learned with this study, uh, actually, in my prep, because and I've thought about it before, but I never really put the two together. And I, I read a couple of different commentaries that, that helped me with this. You know, Jesus at this point, Joseph and Mary, they don't come from a rich home. They're not trust fund babies, okay? Um, so they've got to go. At this particular time, Herod's trying to kill Jesus. They've got to go to Egypt, which is, you know, at least a month's journey on horseback. It's a long ways away. It's through two or three hours by bus, uh, but it's a long ways away. It's nasty. I mean, it's, it's, it's desert area. It's the Negev through there. It's just, it's just a wasteland. And uh, so they've got to do all, that whole journey and back. How are they going to eat? I mean, you know, it's not like this place wasn't just populated with, you know, they could stop and kill a rabbit and eat it or whatever. Um, how are they going to eat? They have to have substance. And a scholar pointed this out, that it is believed by many that the gold, what do they do with that gold, frankincense, and myrrh? That's what they used during that two-year period of time before Joseph could come back and start making his living again as a carpenter. Um, so uh, it's kind of a little interesting little trivia point there that, that that's what that, those gifts were used for. What did they do with them? They hung on to them, and they lived off of that for at least two years, maybe longer. We don't know exactly how much was there. So that all brings us back now to the, to the meat of the whole issue here that we need to talk about. And that is this. What can we learn from the Magi? And I've, I just boiled it down to two lessons. There are a lot of things. I'm, I boiled it down to two messages that we can, we can think about when we talk about the Magi and what we can learn. One is their quest. I mean, they were on a quest. They were on a long quest. Was it two years? It was probably longer than that. They were determined, and they had the gut spot to say, we're going to make this happen. I would love to know the detours that came in their way along the way, because, I mean, they're coming from a long way away, and they're following a stinking star. You know, I mean, that, that was pretty amazing. These guys, these guys were serious about it. They were serious about their faith. And when I, when I think of the example of the quest, I think, okay, what about me? We have this term we use um, around here and in Christian, many, many, many times in Christian church circles, churches like ours. We have a term called seeker. And, uh, and, and that, the way that term is defined usually is a seeker is a person who is seeking Christ, but they're not quite there yet. And uh, they're seeking to be a follower of Jesus, and, and maybe they're curious, and, and maybe they know a little bit, and maybe they're coming out of a, of a, of a, of a burned-up background. Maybe they're recovering Baptists or recovering, uh, recovering Catholics or recovering Presbyterians or whatever they might be, and they've been kind of burned in church and maybe recovering independent church, whatever. doesn't matter what denomination. And they're just trying to, you know, they got hung up in all the church stuff. It's church. I started to say church crap. It's really what it is. Um, and, and they're just trying to figure things out with Jesus. They're, those people are seekers. So people say to me, who are in the know on that kind of a thing, not that you're not, but you wouldn't have any reason to be if you're not, if you're not don't do what I do, and some of us around here. Um, they say, well, is, is Renaissance a seeker church? And here's how I answer that. And it's never the way that, I, you know, I like doing that. I like answering things sometimes in a way that, that uh, they didn't intend it. The, the, what they mean by that is, is it, is it safe for a person who's not a believer but still thinking about it, and I would, hopefully it always will be. But here's how I answer the question. When I say, are you a seeker church? And I say, I hope we'll always be a seeker church because I'm still seeking. 
and I hope you're still seeking. Maybe I know a little bit. Maybe I know that I trusted Jesus. I do know that. Maybe I have a pretty grounded confidence that Jesus is God and that the Bible is authoritative. I do. But I'm still seeking to make Jesus more relevant, more real in my life, to make him more dominant in my life, to make him more and more about me and less me about me. You know, I'm seeking to grow in grace and wisdom as the Bible commands us to do. So I, I take that the same thing with, with, with when you talk about the Magi. They had this quest they were seeking. May God give us the same tenacity, the same perseverance, the same passion in seeking to be the kind of person that God wants me to be as these guys had just to see Jesus, just to, just to be able to see the, the Christ child. Face to face. May God give us that same kind of quest in our own lives, wherever we are, to go a little deeper, a little further. So my question really, it, it kind of goes on what Clay was talking about earlier when he did the uh, announcements, and that is this. What are you doing to seek a deeper understanding of Christ, of the Bible, of just growing in grace? What are you doing? You say, well, I'm going to church on Sunday morning. That's a great start. Maybe I'm, I'm going to start going to one of these groups, and we need more than just the two or three that we have. Believe me, we realize that. Maybe I'm going to start going to one of these groups. That's a great place to start. But, but don't stop there. There has to be a discipline in your life and, a, and an intentionality to say, boy, I really need to spend some And maybe that's in my reading. Certainly it is in my time just to pray and, 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 and whether I want to call that my morning devotions or my night devotions or my midday devotions. I don't care what you call it. I'm more concerned that you do that. Maybe that means I get a little devotional that pops up on my iPad every day. There's a lot of them that will do that. And just read that and take some time and think and pray. Just, just the question is, is an open-ended, what are you doing to seek to live a deeper, or to have a deeper understanding of Christ in the Bible, and just to grow in grace and in truth. And the implied answer is, I hope you're doing something. And maybe this is a good time to start if you haven't. That's the first thing I learned from the Magi, is that is their quest. Second thing, their gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That was valuable stuff. What does God want from me? If you were here Christmas Eve, I had the privilege of sharing with you something, a story in my own life of a guy that, that was an example to me many, many years ago that he brought to, to, to God in, in, in serving and helping me, but, but more important than me in serving God, uh, his carpentry skills to help. And just, it was what he had. And he was eager and passionate about doing that. And so when I talk about this, when I talk about this whole area of, of bringing my gifts, that might involve my talents. That does involve my wealth. Not your wealth anyway. It's like God's. You've just been entrusted with it for a while. That involves giving. That involves giving of money. That involves giving of my talents. That involves giving of my gifts. That involves me being inconvenienced at times to do something that's going to count for God's kingdom instead of just my stuff. Those are gifts that I give. But you know the biggest gift you give? And again, it's not really yours to give, but, but it is in a sense. It's your life. It's who you are. The Apostle Paul was writing in, in 2 Corinthians 8. He's thanking these people for giving so much money for, the, for people to help people and the church and some other stuff. And he's thanking them for giving. And, and, and he says, he says they, they, they even did more than we had hoped. 
for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. That was their first action, not the other. And we emphasize that around here a lot. You know, don't just give money to give. You give your life to Christ. Now, do we need your money? Yeah, but we don't want you to get confused thinking you're doing something to, to make yourself more, more you know, favorable to God by giving money. You, you give your life to God and you want to give out of what you got because you know it's not yours anyway. That's an imp- we give our gifts, we give who we are. We give our life. There's a great quote that I have on a, on a plaque. Somebody gave me a pretty big plaque and I keep it above my, above my desk, actually. By a missionary, Jim Elliott. He was martyred trying to take the gospel to um, a native people down in South America back in the 50s. I remember when it happened. I was like eight years old, I think. And... Um, and the quote that Jim Elliott said was this, that I'll never forget, and I, um, I know it well. This quote was simple. I, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, that's my life, to gain what he cannot lose. And that is God's blessing and salvation and acceptance. That's why we give to God. I'm no fool who gives what I cannot keep, which is my life, to gain what I cannot lose. So you see, really, when we give our lives to Christ as an act of worship, as part of following the example of the Magi giving to the Christ child, funny thing is it benefits us in the long haul anyway because then we're connected permanently uh, and eternally with our Creator, the Lord God. And we give our life to God by simply just in faith saying, Lord, I want to I trust you right here and right now. I, wanna, I believe that you came and lived and suffered and died and rose again. And I want to trust you right here and right now. Right here, right here, day after Christmas, 2010. You can do that if you haven't done that. You've done that, it's just a matter of thanking him again for his love and his grace in your life. Let's pray together. Lord God, we... Um, we are grateful. We are grateful for your, how you are so aggressive at working in our hearts and in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would stop and, and, and just continue to think about that. That it wouldn't be just a passing thing on Christmas or day after Christmas, but it would be in the days and the months ahead. Thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you for the example of the Magi put in our lives this, this passionate quest for truth and this tremendous desire to give, beginning with ourselves and then all that we have and all that we, who we are. And we thank you for that, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.